Welcome into the Tapping the Keg Daily for August 21st. We're going to talk about good take, bad take from Green Bay Packers. Second preseason game against the New England Patriots. We're going to also talk about the Milwaukee Brewers' impressive sweep over the Texas Rangers. And lastly, we will go through some rapid-fire topics that I want to discuss, uh, talk through FIBA World Cup. I'm just involved with that. We're also going to chat a little bit about the week zero hot take that I have. And so all about the takes today. And and maybe a Ryder Cup at the very end. Low golf. Uh, you know, it's we're here and like we're like inches away from everything getting going, for having these Monday pods being all set up for us, for no excuse for morning pods um, when the Packers get going. Uh, and we will be here for you all fall long. This is the perfect time to jump on if you haven't or if you're on the fringes. Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Uh, we would love a follow there. If you're already following, great. Love you, have you. Would love to have you on other channels if you are on those channels. Uh, make sure as well that you are subscribed to this podcast, uh, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on Overcast, Google, uh, Amazon emailed me a little bit. I got to get on Amazon. I don't know if anyone's using Amazon podcast, but I will get there because that's what I do for the people. I get you on uh, this week. Uh, we're going to have shows today, tomorrow, uh, probably off Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, uh, kind of our usual uh, TBD on if we are doing a tap the this week. Uh, Mitch and I kind of talked about potentially uh, getting a week off to sort of reprieve before the season starts. You know, and when I say season, I mean college football, NFL. Uh, so we might do that. And if we do, maybe I'll do something fun um, on Thursday, a little different, uh, kind of change it up, you know. So uh, we'll, we'll just sort of stay tuned for that. Uh, I know you guys care so, so much. All right. Let's waste no more time. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers game number two against the New England Patriots. The Green Bay Packers lost their second preseason game 21 to 17. Now, granted, it was stopped at the 10-29 mark of the game because of Isaiah Bolden getting a concussion on the field. Uh, it was a pretty serious incident, and the Packers and Patriots both agreed to stop playing the game. Uh, it was pretty wild to witness. Um, I did not watch a ton of the game uh, to start. I rewatched it on Sunday, uh, DVR the whole thing, and, and watched the you know the clips again um, on Sunday. But on Saturday, I was watching it live, and I had, had a bunch of people over, and you know we I was settling in for the final final quarter of the game uh, because a lot of people had left and whatnot. And, and I'm not going to say they sort of put a damper on the party, but you know people people left a little bit quick maybe quicker than they would have had had the game been going on. But obviously the injury takes precedent. Uh, who cares about my party? And, and I'm glad that Isaiah Bolden was able to travel with the team and he's doing all right and ever, and everything else. So that that's really good. Let's get into what we did after the preseason game number one, uh, which is good take or bad take. Um, I think it is a hot take the first time, but uh, let's do good take, bad take. Basically what it is is we're, I'm going to read off some takes that I have that I, I gathered from the game, and we're going to address if it's a good take or it's a bad take um, and sort of understand where we're going. Yeah, some of these might be a little dramatic. Um, and that's on purpose uh, for for the sake of this exercise. But I think there are takes, even if they sound dramatic, I think there are takes that fans might have. Um, that if we actually had a thriving uh, local radio broadcast and things like that, you'd hear these type of things. But we, we don't, so we, you don't hear those things anymore. Anyways, uh, here is the start of good take or bad take. 
Jordan Love continues to make people believe that this could be a playoff team. I think that is a good take. Uh, I, I, Jordan Love continues to look good. Uh, Jordan Love was on his own four-yard line, took it down the field, 96 yards, and produced a touchdown for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, that, to me, with the Patriots defense, who was playing some of their guys, not playing all of them, that's a huge pentpole event that we have to recognize. And Jordan Love looked composed. He looked ready for the moment. It did not seem to phase him that it was at Lambeau Field. Yes, there were some early issues, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But after that, it was all smooth sailing. And five for eight, 83 yards, and a touchdown, you know, no interception. Again, I, I, I think that you're seeing the development, the maturation of Jordan Love, and you're seeing why, you know, the Packers, you know, waited and they did not necessarily want to go all in early on because he has made leaps and bounds from that Kansas City game, you know, two years ago or that Detroit game two years ago. You see it there. You see a guy who is ready to play and ready for this moment and ready for this opportunity. And it's even if he is a quote unquote game manager, which I, I hate that term. And, you know, we talked about Carl Horst's comments last week. I still believe that Jordan Love can be a guy. And you can be a guy and be a game manager. Like Eli Manning won two Super Bowls, and you could argue Eli Manning is a game manager, right? So I, I, I just don't want to hear it uh, about Jordan Love. And I think he has what it takes to bring this offense to prominence. And they have a lot of playmakers on this team. And, I, you know, I think that's something that we've talked about throughout this, this training camp and seeing how fast this team could be. And they are going to be a really tough team to deal with, especially if you have a lot of older veterans, you have a slower defense. You know, this this Packer team can run you out out on the field, right? Uh, I think the term would be run out of the gym. Uh, as you hear in basketball, right, with a really, you know, kind of up-paced, high-tempo team. But I, I think that the same could be true for football. Like, I think the Packers can do a lot of tempo stuff. I think they can really wear down defenses with – not only the speed of the team, but just of the kind of the pace that they've been playing with. And Jordan loves a part of that. And I, I think he's he's showing enough to me that I, I think he's the guy. And Jordan talked about how he didn't really think they needed the third preseason game. He said he feels like he's ready, you know, for game, week one against the Bears. It seems like he's still going to play. I think that's the smart move to get, you know, as much acclimation period as humanly possible for love. So love isn't, you know, a few weeks off from the season. Uh, that's, that means there's like a two week layoff from real game time. Um, and then it becomes real against Chicago. But I, I think it's good for Jordan love to, you know, it's, and especially too, cause it's a noon game, right? Uh, the game's at noon on Saturday. And I think that's just, that that'll be like a normal game day, right? It'll get up early. You'll get to the stadium. You'll deal with probably hot temperatures. Actually, it's going to cool off. It's going to be really hot uh, Wednesday and Thursday here in Wisconsin. So stay stay inside the, those days. It's wild, uh, like ninety seven. I think on Wednesday now and ninety two on Thursday. Uh, but like you're going to get sort of that game day experience, and I think that's important. Even if Love plays, you know, one series or two series, like that's that's fine. And, and I think that that's good. And I, I think just the development of love has really been on full display uh, in this month of August. And I, I, we're continuing to see it. And he looked really good against Patriots. And that's a tough defense. And I, that was, to me, a big game for, for sort of how I felt about Jordan Love, just because I knew the Patriots are going to have, you know, a top 10 defense at, at worst this season. And I know not everybody's playing, but still, like, 
they they have talent, they have depth. Like that's a Belichick led defense. That's not easy uh, for a guy who has not played in a ton of games. So good on Jordan Love. Love's early early in game struggles are a concern for the regular season. I think this is a bad take, but I'll, I'll caveat and say maybe. So Love kind of got off to another little bit of a rough start uh, in preseason game number two. Josh Myers put a snap over his head, uh, caused a fumble. The Patriots were able to get it. They were able to score a touchdown. I uh, love, you know, missed Luke Musgrave early on in the game against Cincinnati, then responded and got a touchdown on his next drive. Uh, the opening drive for Jordan Love, these first two preseason games have not been crisp. That could be concerning uh, in the first few actual games of the NFL season, but I don't know how much stock to take into that. Matt LaFleur, I think, is a good coach. I think I think one of the things that people nationally are going to realize is that Matt LaFleur is really good at his fucking job and that he's much better than people make it out to be and that people need to recognize and put some respect on Matt LaFleur's name. Now, I know that Joe Barry is going to get a ton of criticism and he's still going to get it now. Defenses look good so far. The, the pro football focus numbers have the Packers of the top offense and top defense through two preseason games. Again, you try really hard not to get yourself too excited about that. But that that is definitely intriguing, alluring, uh, however many you know adjectives, superlatives you want to use. But I think for the in-game stuff, I, I think you know first drive, Matt LaFleur can work with Jordan Love, what Jordan Love is comfortable with. What, you know, can kind of get him going? I think the fact you're going to have Aaron Jones is going to help, right? Aaron Jones, that, I don't think, did Aaron Jones play in that first game? He might have. But but still, he did, actually, that first drive. But you're going to have, like, the balance of Jones and Dilling. And you're you're just going to, and you're out Bakhtiari, too. Like, you're going to have reliable guys there to kind of keep you level and keep you grounded. And they are probably going to be more conservative in that first drive, that's first drive script against Chicago, maybe against Atlanta, maybe against New Orleans. I think where it'll maybe start to let it hang is that Detroit game, right? Because that'll be your second game at Lambeau, be your fourth overall game, your second division game. But I, I would imagine that the Packers are going to have conservative scripts in that first drive, at least for the first three games. For our guy, first quarter Murph, like I, I would be hesitant on the first quarter bets uh, for the first three weeks of the season. That that's what I would say because I don't I just don't know if they're gonna go all systems go. Maybe I'll be completely wrong. Maybe that's a bad take too. But I I just I I feel like Jordan Love, you know, the in game stuff early on is not some of it's not his fault, right? The Meyer snap. What can you do? And then we're gonna talk about the Meyer snap here in a second. Uh, but like. I, I think that that's something that Jordan Love, you know, will get more comfortable. They'll get more conservative a little bit. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And I know that you run the risk of, all right, you have a conservative script. The Bears run down the field and get a touchdown in their opening drive. And now it's 7-0 and now you're in a hole. Sure. that's. But you have to also trust your defense, right? And, you know, and I, I think – the defense is not going to be as healthy as they will be in September, right? You're going to have the healthiest version, the best version likely of both your offense and defense in September. And you got to bring it. And so I really hope that you're going to see that on full display. And even if you have a conservative, you know, script in that first drive, that you'll still, still find a way to, you know, basically keep it level uh, with your opponent. Second, third take, let's go to defense. Kingsley Ingambare and the depth of the edge position is enough to not pay Rashawn Gary. That's a bad team. Uh, I, I love the edge depth. 
I love what Ingenbari did on Saturday. He looks like a stud. Um, you know, people compared him to Zedaria Smith out of college, and you can see that. Just the, his pure power is fantastic. And the Packers really have a true guy that can step in and basically replace Preston Smith when Preston Smith's time's done in Green Bay. And, it, you know, it, and it'll be him. It'll be Rashawn Gary. It'll be Luke Van Ness. I think, you know, the, the actual take is did the Packers make a mistake drafting Luke Van Ness when they had Ingenbari on the team? And that might be it, right? Because Ingenbari can play. And he's he's a baller, dude. And But I, I don't think that that justifies not paying Rashawn Gary. I think Rashawn Gary is one of the best edge rushers that we have in the NFL. I think he's underrated. I think just there's pure power and speed, and you just cannot replace that. And while Ingenbar is good, while I think Van Ness is going to be good, I still would give Rashawn Gary a bet. Um, I do. I would not fuck around with that because I think he's a good enough player and he's young enough too, where it's not like you're paying him his second contract, right? Uh, and it's like, okay, second big contract time. And the Packers rarely pay second contracts unless they think they're going to be a Hall of Famer. See Aaron Rodgers, see David Bakhtiari. So I think giving Gary another contract is not a bad thing. Now, and Gary, yeah, I think Gary's his own agent, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it, you know, he has a unique agent structure. But if Green Bay could, you know, work a deal where, you know, maybe there are outs, maybe there's more upfront money for Gary, and that they could then say, all right, well, if Ingenbari and Van Ness develop, and Brenton Cox, maybe who we're going to talk about in a second, uh, maybe that's a reason how, or that's how we get out of Gary if. Like we start to see a Ray return and gets hurt again. Uh, I, I still believe in Rashawn Gary. I don't think it's something that you just don't pay. Uh, and you don't pay him because you feel like you have enough depth. Like it's a great thing that the Packers have have depth at the edge position. And we'll get into this for the next thing. Ingenbar, Hollins, Van Ness, maybe Cox provide enough edge depth for the Packers that they have not seen in years. Good take. I can't remember since the Packers have went to a 3-4, maybe in the early Clay Matthews days, where they've had this much edge production potentially with all of those guys. They can keep everybody fresh. Rashawn Gary won't have to play much in those first few weeks. Like he's not, He has not been cleared for 11-on-11 yet, uh, as pointed out uh, in a couple articles that I read over the weekend. So that's at least something to keep in mind with Ingenbare, with Hollins, Justin Hollins, that is, and Luke Van Ness, and maybe Brandon Cox. And so I think Green Bay can really be some motherfuckers in terms of off-the-edge pressure. And that's going to be something that we have not seen in a long, long time. And what Green Bay can do to quarterbacks can be really frustrating. I think we saw it with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith a little bit, but they lost, you know, they didn't necessarily have much depth after those two guys, but those guys were able to create havoc off the edge. And that's what I think you're going to see, you know, in this season. And that's a huge advantage and a huge boost to a defense that's going to have a lot of pressure on it to start the year. And the Brent Cox angle, like, I, he's one of those guys that I just don't know how you cut. Like, I think if he, they go, they put him on a practice squad, someone's going to get him. Because they're going to see the athleticism. They're going to see the pedigree, you know, his dad being Brian Cox. I just see no way that you leave Brenton Cox off this 53. But I think it's going to, it's going to get hard. Uh, the Packers have a ton of depth here. And that's another reason 
why you might you should feel good about them potentially being a playoff team is because they just seem like they are deep. Even though they're young, they're a deep team, and they have a lot of talent. And Brian Gunacus has really built this roster. And for those who are anti-Goot or think that Goot did Aaron Rodgers wrong, I think you, you're going to have to eat your words because I think this this team is so well-rounded and it's as good as it's been in terms of depth in a long time. So, yeah, I, this edge this edge depth is going to really help Green Bay. It's going to ease Gary into the season. It's also going to you know provide a lot of different looks for teams because Inyambari rushes the pass are different than Van Ness. Same with Hans. Same with Brandon Cox. Same with Gary, Gary Smith. So you're just going to keep coming at dudes, and they're just these offensive linemen are not going to know what to do with them. Josh Myers should not be blamed for the botch snap, and it's not something to worry about. Also a good take. Uh, I understand the frustration with Josh Myers. Uh, Josh Myers has not necessarily had a good training camp. But that snap, uh, as Brian Baldinger pointed out, uh, who does a lot of film work, you can follow, I forget, it's like Baldy's Takes or something like that on Twitter. But he pointed out how one of the defensive linemen for the New England Patriots went over the line and was in the neutral zone, clearly in the neutral zone. And what Baldinger played, and he's a former offensive lineman, he played center, uh, said was, when you get that moment, you snap the ball because you want to get that free play. And LeFleur kind of talked about it in his post-game presser as well. He didn't say that there was a neutral zone fashion, but Myers obviously saw that and he, you know, snapped football. And Jordan Love wasn't ready, and then that led to the turnover. So I, I understand that Meyer, everyone was mad at Myers on Saturday, but if you, you know, kind of look at it again, you watch the tape, it seems like there was a neutral zone infraction that was not called by the officials. And that's going to happen. But I, I think it's still maybe for Myers, it's like, all right, yeah, that's, that is our role. But if, you know, that maybe is on the tackle, right? That's maybe on Zach Tom or that's on Runyon for noticing. I don't know. I can't remember if, I think it was a defensive lineman, but it was lined up on like Zach Tom's side. Like Zach Tom needs to jump then and not have Myers maybe early on as Love will get more familiar, you know, with that and understand that's why the ball is getting snapped and that he always just has to keep one eye on potentially the center for something like that um, and that possibility. So I, I, I really do, I really do think that there is a, you know, he needs to keep that in mind. And, but I also don't think that it's a necessarily a bad thing or something that we should really freak out about and be like, Oh, Josh Myers needs to lose his job. But no, I, it, it was him trying to basically draw, get a penalty and it just didn't work. And a young quarterback who wasn't exactly ready for the snap shit happens, you know, and, and, and you're glad it happened in preseason, right? Let's stay with the offensive line. Uh, Rashid Walker is going to take over Josh Diamond's spot as six offensive lineman. It's a bad take. Uh, I, I think Rashid Walker just got a look at left tackle because they knew the Patriots had their once and he had a good week of practice. And I think Matt LaFleur wanted to see, you know, how, how he would perform out there. This is very Craig Council-esque, right? Uh, if you are a Brewer fan, some of you might not be, but if you are a Milwaukee Brewer fan, one of the things that Craig Council tends to do is he'll throw guys in the fire. He'll just want to see how they respond to, you know, pressure situations, especially relievers. I uh, saw it on Sunday, actually, with Trevor McGill. Uh, Taylor. Is it Taylor? Trevor? It's Trevor. Sorry. It's Taylor's brother. Trevor McGill. Like he put him in. It was 3-1. Uh, the Brewers were ahead, but it was like sixth inning. They're trying to sweep the Rangers. Last game of a road trip. They put McGill in, who was more of a low leverage guy, and he did well. And he, he handled himself. He went like an inning plus. 
And that, you know, is exactly, you know, what they were, I think LaFleur was doing with Rashid Walker. He's like, I want to see what he does against, you know, a really good defense. And, but I, I don't think that means he's replacing Nyman. I do think that that gives the Packers another option at tackle, which is great. And maybe more reason why you don't pay Dave, why you get rid of David Bakhtiari next year and you pay Josh Nyman. It also could be a reason why you don't pay Josh Nyman. You hold on to Bakhtiari. And if you feel like you can develop something with Rasheed Walker, you, you do that. Carl Brooks is going to be a bigger steal than Carrington Valentine. That, that is unknown to me. Um, I, I will put that in the unknown category. Karen Valentine had a rough game number two. Uh, Carl Brooks looked really good uh, in, in the second preseason game. He's definitely one of the breakout stars, uh, the kid from Bowling Green. And what I, I will say about that is I think that there's a – I'll kind of twist this a little bit and say that Carl Brooks has more of a chance to have an immediate impact than Carrington Valentine because – I think that being a defensive lineman, you rotate in, um, you know, you're not playing as many snaps. Also, you know, offensive linemen, the offensive line sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, just the, the overall linemen that, that are in the NFL compared to the wide receivers are not at the same level. Like dealing with, you know, first week, DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, and you say what you want about Claypool, but, you know, Daryl Moody, uh, and then you're dealing with Drake London next week, uh, Kyle Pitts. Like, that's a lot more than some of the linemen that the Bears have, the Falcons have, the Saints have. And that's where I think, like, Carl Brooks can make that immediate impact and be be more of a guy. If anything, um, I will say this, like, as a take-to-take, like, Kenny Clark has no excuses this year. Like, Kenny Clark should have a massive year. And if Kenny Clark doesn't have a massive year, that's a, that's a red flag because Kenny Clark's been given the tools. Now Kenny Clark has to go, go make a project. Kenny, Kenny Clark now has to turn himself into an all pro and have a dominant year. And I, I think he can. Um, I, that, that's not to say like, I don't think he can have a good year, but like there's, we, we don't need to make any excuses for Kenny Clark, right? It was like, oh, he has Dean Lauer, he has Kyle Lancaster, he has he has this slum. It's like, no, he actually has good players now, and now it's it's time to see it on a Kenny Clark. Last thing I have, and then we'll go on to Brewers. Malik Keith is the next Alan Lazard and cannot make the practice squad. I think that's a good take. Uh, I love Malik Keith. I'm I'm all on board with Million Dollar Malik. That's his Instagram handle. Uh, it's <laughs> like, he's a dude, man. He is a dog. Uh, it gets overused. Thanks to Pat McAfee for completely ruining that fucking word. Uh, but he is like, he's a great player and I really like him. Uh, make great might be a little strong, but I, I'm, I'm all on the Malik Keith bandwagon. I'm on Malik Keith Island. I do not want to see Malik Keith on a practice squad because I think another team's going to get him. Uh, you got to keep him on 53. Uh, that, that is something I, I really hope. That we're gonna see because he he has a great attitude. You know, he talks about you know he's undrafted. He knows it. He, he's just gonna keep grinding, keep trying to make an impression on the Packers. And you know, maybe the one the one thing to keep just in mind. And I know they like Samari Tori, and it, it might be a little Tyler Davis, right? Like, remember how Tyler Davis had a bad camp his second year, and everyone's like, oh, they're gonna cut Tyler Davis. But they kind of had this sort of. I wouldn't say love affair. That's a little intense, but they like, they were really big Tyler Davis guys. They were like, we feel like we can develop Tyler Davis. Now he tears ACL this year, unfortunately, but they, they believed in Tyler Davis and they kept Tyler Davis on the roster, even though a lot of us were like, no fucking way. 
that might be the same case with Samari Torre. Like, Samari Torre has not really had a great camp. And you could make the case that, okay, if they stay with five wide receivers, Wicks moves into that four, which then you have two rookie wide receivers as your three and four guy, which is wild. And then your fifth is actually another rookie. And he's, like, that that will be intense. But if you feel like those are your best five, those are your best five. And then you cut Torre. And maybe you could see Torre on the practice squad still. I think he's done enough, you know, in terms of production. I also wouldn't be surprised if that quarterback in New York would, you know, put in a word to Joe Douglas and be like, hey, let's get this guy. Because, uh, you know, he had a good relationship with Torre and really believed in Torre. I'm not out on Torre. I'm just, I'm kind of thinking out loud. Uh, I personally would just say six wide receivers and figure it out. But we'll, we'll have to see. That'll be for Brian Gutekunst. And I'm sure we'll talk a great deal about the 53-man roster uh, as we get closer to cut time. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers had themselves a weekend after they got walked by the got Los Angeles Dodgers. I think I was looking for like walloped or whacked, and I went with whopped. Uh, Cardi B fans are kind of cringing right now. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, it was a bad series against the Dodgers. I think we were all down bad. The fact that they lose one nothing against Lance Lynn, who has suddenly become a god again uh, in L.A., uh, probably just eating less hot dogs, and that's you know led Lance Lynn to having a revival. And it's Austin Barnes that beats us on Thursday night. We didn't get to talk about Thursday because we did the pod early, but we talked about you know how the Dodgers are scary. We, we debated about that. You can listen to it on Tabby the Kite podcast. But for them to then go into Texas and sweep the Rangers and be in complete control of this game, complete control of the series, not just the game, like the series. They scored 21 runs. Uh, they were just efficient on offense. They kept adding on offense. They came back on uh, Friday night with a Carlos Santana home run. They got out ahead on Saturday and Sunday and never really looked back. Uh, they just completely bullied a Rangers team that has been one of the best road teams or home teams in baseball all season. And that is a huge credit to this Brewers team. And they deserve a ton, a ton of respect and a ton of admiration. Six and three road trip, another winning road trip. Uh, they've won, you know, three long road trips this season, uh, which is really good. Something that, you know, you haven't seen in the past. And for the Brewers to easily could have went into a tailspin here and could have, you know, really been struggling. And again, you know, they placed, they faced the Twins, I think, when they had lost six straight last time around. And they could have easily been in that same position, you know, heading home to Minnesota. But instead, they're heading home with a three-game winning streak, three up on the Chicago Cubs, and feeling really good about yourself. And this was the hardest road trip that they had left on the schedule. And if there was any time for the Brewers to make a little bit of a run, it's, it's kind of now. Uh, I, I realize it's still a tough schedule. We're going to talk about takeaways from the series here. But just from a macro perspective, like you have the Twins now for two. You're going to be well-rested because you get Monday off, you get Thursday off. And then you go to play the Padres on the weekend. The Padres are still sort of in fighting for their playoff life. And I feel like the Padres have played better against better competition. You know, they have a big series this weekend against tomorrow or this week in the Marlins and, you know, with all the hurricane stuff wildly going on in California, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to play that week, but we'll, we'll just have to see. And so they're going to have a lot. There's a lot there that potentially, you know, the Brewers could, you know, if they go 
let's say five games, they they could go four and one in this next stretch here and sort of start pushing it out. And then you have the Cubs where there's a tiebreaker on the table where you could get the tiebreaker then against both the Cubs and the Reds. Massive. Absolutely massive. And then the Phillies, you know, coming home that weekend. And the Phillies, you know, that's another one where you could also get a tiebreaker if you were to collapse in September and now you find yourself in a wild card position. You could get a, a you know, tiebreaker over the Phillies if you can win, you know, two games. I believe they they're two and one against the Phillies. They would need to get to that fourth win to get that tiebreaker. So a lot on the table right now for the Brewers, and they just they look like a more focused, a dialed-in team, a team that that's bouncing back easily, that has a, a more tough skin than they did in April or May, even in June. Right? You know, we saw what you know, three games to the A's did it, sent them into a tailspin. And it doesn't seem like they are, you know, affected. They are like, okay, we got swept. It sucked. We were in every game. They knew they were in every game. You could see it. If you, I watched all three of those games mercifully. That's what I do for you guys. But you watch them and you're like, they could have won each of these games. Like all these games were winnable. And so I think the Brewers carried that into the week. Let's start with Friday because I felt like that was the, Biggest game, the most important game, just considering all the factors here. You lost three straight games. You got into Texas, Dallas, that is, at probably 6 a.m., 7 a.m., whatever. I didn't get to bed till like 7, you know, and you were basically running on fumes because the Dodgers had to play a 9-10 game, you know, Pacific time. The Brewers came in there and showed no signs of weariness. They showed no signs of weakness. They were aggressive against the left-hander. They got an early 3-0 lead. They had men on base early. Now, Brandon Woodruff had some homer issues again, which is something Brandon Woodruff is really going to have to work on here. Uh, it's something that I, I, I'm a little bit nervous about. Uh, he It's happened now in the last couple games that he's been in. Um, I, I hope that it's something he can fix. You know, it was a problem for him, I think, last year, too, where he would he would go strong for, you know, the first couple times through the order, and then that next time through the order, he would surrender home runs. And so he has to work on that. He has to work on his pitch mix. Uh, you know, that's obviously something Corbin Burns struggled with a little bit earlier this season. So hopefully Woodruff can figure that out. Uh, but, it, you know, they battle back. Carlos Santana, it's a three-run homer then. In the seventh inning, they get more run producing in the eighth inning from Tyrone Taylor, who's red hot, Wilson Contreras, or William, excuse me, I haven't done that in a while, but William Contreras, you know, gets the base knock to drive the guys in. Uh, and the Brewers, you know, kept adding, and they needed to add because the ninth inning was a disaster. Andrew Chafin uh, had a very big struggle in that ninth, and Devin Williams closed it down with a, a ball hit to the wall. South Freelick made, made a great catch on a very long 40-seater drive that if was hit like two inches further. It's a home run and the Rangers win that game and it would have been an all-time collapse. And we would be certainly, even if the Brewers had won Saturday and Sunday, I think we'd be talking about this whole thing differently. And we'd, we'd be okay, you know, with a five and four road trip, but still there would be that lingering like, man, you just wish you would have got Friday night. And especially the Cubs had lost, the Reds had won. So it was like you had an opportunity to at least take a, do a little bit of damage, and the Brewers did that. And I feel like that carried them the rest of the weekend. You know, Saturday was all about Frey Peralta, and he continues to look like second-half ace. I said on one of the shows last week, like, Saturday I felt like it would be a true test for Peralta because Peralta has faced decent teams with the Reds and bad teams with the Rockies. And last time he faced like a really good team, Atlanta, he struggled. And that was the last time we saw Freddie Peralta struggle. He passed the test. He had one run. 
He battled through a really tough third inning where he went like 40 pinches, almost going six innings, and striking out like 11 batters. Uh, Peralta has had the most strikeouts through four games, uh, beating Corbin Burns' record, uh, Brewers franchise history. So Peralta's just been on his fucking game. And credit to Chris Hook, man. Chris Hook deserves a ton of credit for fig- figuring out what was going on with Ray Peralta and how to fix it. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, I think that we do not give Chris Hook the same amount of love that we gave Derek Johnson. You know, remember how much we love Derek Johnson as a fan base. And I, I just don't think enough is being talked about the job Chris Hook has done uh, with this team, whether it's, you know, some of the relievers and Jim, Jim Henderson, the bullpen coach deserves some credit too with the bull, with the you know relievers and the bullpen. But like those guys, that one, two punch has been really good for the Brewers. They've, they've done a masterful job with this team. And, you know, you just look at all the guys and they just, you know, yeah, there've been, you know, down periods and struggles, but who do you feel like you're like, Oh shit, this guy's pitching right now for the Brewers. Any of them? Even Adrian Hauser has been solid. Like, he had another solid outing on Sunday. Like, you know, and Hauser and Miley are your four and five guys. And that's, for some teams, even playoff contenders, like, that might be your third or fourth guy. And so I just think the Brewers are in a really solid spot. And I I understand, like, we can be sad about the sweep and be like, well, they, have, they haven't done well against the Dodgers and Braves. But who the fuck has? Like, we do the research. And maybe that's something I do for tomorrow's show is, like, who actually was has been good against the Dodgers and Braves in terms of the, you know, in, on aggregate? Like, if we go all the playoff teams in the NL, and we can even do the AL for that matter, you know, because everybody's playing each other. Like, who has done well against this dot, these dot Dodgers and Braves? Like, they just might be the two best teams, and we just have to deal with that, and they're, you know, on a collision course for the NLCS. But baseball's weird. Like, what's to say the Brewers can't go into L.A. and reverse fortune? They're going to have to. They know it. Burns said it after the game. Like He's like, we're going to have to do this. And I just feel a lot better with Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. And honestly, given the fact that Woodruff's had a little bit of home run issues, I'm kind of right now as Peralta as the two and then the Woodruff. I, I wouldn't advocate that for in the playoff series, but Peralta to me has become the more reliable guy. And I'm definitely excited for the next time Freddie toes the rubber, which will be this weekend against San Diego. Uh, and then on Sunday, man, they beat Matt Scherzer for a third time. Their approach to Matt Scherzer was incredible. Uh, something we have just not seen from the Brewers all season. You know, they were basically taking pitches. They were following a bunch off. They really worked Scherzer uh, where he had to be removed from the game. He didn't make fifth inning. And they just were so patient. And, and working counts. It felt like you were watching like the Dodgers and Braves. and made me wonder if they saw something. You know, in LA, right? And they saw the way the Dodgers were approaching things, or they, and maybe, you know, one of the analytics guys was like, Hey, what if we try this? What if we do this? You know, especially against guys we've seen before. One of the things that stood out to me in the Brave series, you know, bring them back up. And I know we're talking about a lot, but like, look, they're, they're the best teams. And that's how we should compare the Brewers because I, I think the Brewers are near them. I, I don't think they're at their level, but I don't think any my, – my point is, is I don't think anybody is. I think they are in their own category, and then it's a, another tier. And I, I think the Brewers fall in that tier. I really do. With the Orioles, with the Rangers, with uh, – who else? Astros. Um, you know, I, I think they're in that conversation. And otherwise, I don't know if there's anybody in that. I don't think – the Phillies might be. But every now and again, the Phillies just step on their dick. 
And the Brewers haven't really had a lot of those step on the dick series. The last one was against the Nationals, you know, uh, a few weeks ago. But that was the last time. And maybe that Pirates, yeah. So uh, Brewers do it a little bit too, but I don't know, man. Um, I just feel maybe a lot better about them. But going back to the approach, like, and it also was the third time they saw Scherzer. And they clearly have made adjustments from the third time. They, they changed their approach. And so I just wonder when they see different guys for the third or fourth time, is the approach different? Is that, you know, how are they, you know, sort of seeing things and are they changing it up instead of just sticking with what's worked or what hasn't worked, right? I think that was a huge frustration with the hitting coaches last year and years before where they would just do the same thing and expect different results. I think you kind of saw that too with Justin Steele and the Chicago Cubs where they hit Steele pretty hard, even though Steele has dominated the Brewers in the past. They hit Steele hard. They should have won that game. Devin Williams, one of the only blown saves he's had all season. But like that, that was a game that they definitely should have have won and they, you know, made a change their approach. So it's something I'll, I'll kind of keep an eye on here. You know, they, they don't, they face Minnesota who they've seen before. I don't know if Bailey Ober faced us last time around. I have to check. And, and then I don't know who the other guy they're facing this week. I probably should have had that, had that ready to go. But we'll we'll probably preview Brewers Twins a little bit more uh, as for tomorrow. Yeah, it's Miley and Ober on Tuesday, and then Wednesday afternoon you have Kenta Maeda, who's been pitching really well against Corbin Burns. So you have another Corbin Burns start, uh, and that sets up for Woodruff and Peralta uh, for the San Diego series. So they get both Woodruff and Peralta get a full week off, which is great uh, this late in the season. So you'll love to see that. And you just love, you know, that it's another good weekend for the Brewers. You know, they swept the, swept the White Sox. They swept the, swept the Rangers and we'll see if they can sweep the Padres next weekend. And it's just a August, uh, full of weekend sweeps. Uh, I, I, I don't know what it's like to lose on the weekend. Uh, so that's, that's great, man. Uh, so yeah, good, good weekend overall for the Brew crew. All right. Let's wrap up the show with some just rapid fire stuff. Uh, I, I didn't really feel like there was much, uh, to talk about from a Badger perspective, but we'll get into maybe one of my hotter takes that I have. I don't, I don't really like week zero of college football. Uh, does that make me a bad person? Like there are so many people that are excited for week zero of college football. And I, I just feel like it's such a tease. Like I feel like it is just such a dick tease compared to everything else. It's like going to an awesome restaurant, but only eating one appetizer. Like, that's all you're going to get, right? And that's it. Like, you can't get anything more. You just can get one appetizer. Like, it's almost like you go to that restaurant at, like, bar close, basically. And they're like, our kitchen's still open, but we're only doing apps. And you're like, oh, my God, this is, these are wings are amazing. Or these chicken tenders are so fucking good. But you can't get anything else. It, it's it. Like, just cheese. I, chicken tenders is a bad example. Cheese curds might have been the better one. But regardless, like, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I want the full thing. I just want the whole fucking thing. I want to be ready to go next Thursday, uh, August 31st, when you have a ton of games that Thursday night. And it's sort of this big rollout of college football. And, you know, ESPN will have a game. I think Fox will have a game. Like, it'll be awesome. That'll be a fun, fun day. I think Florida Utah play that, that, that Thursday night. Like, that's going to be an awesome day of football. Like, I cannot wait. For Thursday night. Yeah, Florida, Utah, ESPN, seven o'clock, as well as Nebraska, Minnesota. Like those are those are awesome games. Those are games to get excited about. And so that's where I like give me the that day. 
Like, Notre Dame, maybe, be fun. But, like, none of the games I'm like, wow, I, I need to watch that game. Uh, maybe the best one on that slate is Ohio and, and San Diego State. Uh, you know, San Diego State, a three-point favorite, three-and-a-half-point favorite. USC, you could watch the Caleb Williams stuff. Who knows with the reins, right? Uh, but, like, I just, to me, like, I, I don't want to be teased. That's, that's sort of where I'm at with, with week zero of college football. Um, and so I don't know, maybe would I feel differently if the Badgers were playing like in Ireland against somebody that, that, that day? I don't know. Uh, but I, I just do not want to be teased. Um, I want the full thing, man. So I, I, I'll still watch. Uh, I will still have thoughts on the games. I will still, you know, have some investments going, but like, that's it. That's not necessarily that. It's just I, I want it. I want the whole last thing, and I and you also have to wait till one thirty. That's the other thing. Like it, it's not going to start at eleven. Like it, you know, you're going to wait till one thirty for the games. Like who knows what I have going on that day. Um, and I will also say a little bit of advice here for those who might you know be newly in a, in a relationship or. You have, you know, you're with your significant other at the house for the first time in, uh, in football season. No need to work your schedule around, uh, this Saturday. Like, if you're able to watch, great. If you're not, awesome. You know, fine. Next week is the week where you just have to, it's full steam ahead and you just gotta gently give her heads up. So like, Hey, look, Thursday the 31st till Thursday the 7th, we have two days off of football. To me, like, this is one of the best stretches of the year. Uh, this, like, uh, Thursday to basically Sunday of football. Like, that, it's just great. And it's, it's just, it's an awesome time to be alive. So I guess that ended up being more of a topic than I thought it was. I thought I was just going to do, like, a quick rapid fire. And I did, like, five, six minutes on that. So, uh, the only other rapid fire stuff I had was the FIBA World Cup, five horse involves. I'm going to probably check it out. I wish it wasn't in the Philippines. I wish it was like it happened a couple of weeks earlier before football started. Like I, I think if this was mid-August, this would be premier. Like, all right, let's you know work our schedule around. Let's get up early to watch. Uh, also, it sucks that Giannis isn't playing because the USA and Greece are in the same uh, pool. So you would have had Giannis first, the U.S. Uh, on Monday morning, which would have been appointment television, which would definitely have been you know something to talk about uh, podcast wise, but. You know, Bobby playing crunch time for Team USA, which is something. Uh, you know, as I think it was Trey Crosby on Twitter pointed out, like he doesn't even do that for bucks. So, uh, you know, interesting uh, thing to note, keep in mind. Uh, but they they certainly trust Bobby on that team. And Anthony Edwards had a massive, you know, game against Germany that I think a lot of people, the Anthony Edwards hype train is gonna gonna start humming. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to look at his MVP odds, look at some other things around the Wolves, and I, I get it. Um, you know, I, the Ant Man certainly looks like he's ready to take you know that next leap. And but it, it was a fun game. Like I had it on. I was you know struggling from my party a bit, um, and I had a big ass brunch thanks to my brother in law. And so I was like, I was just kind of laying on the couch watching the game, and it was enjoyable. I got into it at the end and was like, all right, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to check out a little more, uh, FIBA. And then the last, last thing, uh, Brooks Kepka, now they automatic qualifier for the Ryder Cup. If Brooks Kepka is off, is off the Ryder Cup team, I might have to protest the Ryder Cup, which is one of my favorite events of the year. But I, I don't know. I, I can't, 
I don't know if I can support it. Uh, that was my last like rapid fire thing that I had, so I I will ride out on that. Just I don't mean to be anti-American, but like come on, you gotta have Brooks on that team. Okay, that does it for today's show. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, like I said. Uh, we'll uh, we'll have some fun tomorrow. Uh, but no Brewer game. Uh, talk about maybe we'll do that that Dodgers Cubs top Dodgers Braves top. Like, I think it might. I'm I'm kind of interested in that. Uh, and you know we'll uh, we'll get into it. What, what it might mean. Uh, so we'll we'll take a look at that. Um, we'll I'm sure talk more about Packers. Maybe kind of get into you know 53 man roster stuff and think, figure out you know who fits, who's in, who's out, who's on the fence, um, and get get us ready to go for that final preseason game, that final push of training camp. We're getting closer and closer. Like I said, I don't like getting teased, and I'm getting teased uh, this week with college football, but I'm still happy to have it back. Uh, so we're we're getting closer and closer to football season. Uh, so we'll take care, guys. Back tomorrow. We'll see you then. Take care. Bye.